0: At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to another round of Snarky
1: Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and we are here today to hop into the Snarkiverse. Is that a? Th- I don't know. Welcome to Snarky Faith Radio. That's probably the easiest way to do this. And if you've come here in search of wisdom and knowledge, you may be shit out of luck, or maybe not. Maybe I just wanted to see that our censor bar already worked at the beginning of this episode. That we're going to be talking about stuff. Um, well, the main idea I'm going to throw at you right now is we're going to talk about what does it really mean to be sacrificial, uh, especially when we talk about American Christianity. And and so I was kind of warming up that the sensor bar button because I've got a feeling it may get used a couple times here on the show. So if you are looking for some wisdom and knowledge, I think you may find some of it if you are good at minding nuggets out of snarkiness and other frivolities that we have here. But again, yes, we're gonna be descending into this hour, talking about sacrificial. What does it mean to be sacrificial? versus kind of the Americans' church's version of it, uh, which would be, what does it mean to be co- consumeristic? Which is kind of the, <laughs> we've been taught that Jesus told us, what do I get out of this? Yeah, so we're going to juxtapose those things uh, in light of talking about the atrocities that are going on at our southern border here in the U.S., the humanitarian crisis, the human crisis, the oh my god crisis that how is this still happening crisis of am I really living in America in night 2019 crisis and is this really what's still happening in 2019 crisis yeah yeah we got a lot of crisis going on here but 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 you know we got to start off with something a little bit lighter and by lighter it could be actually more doomed or sad (laughs) Or scary, depending upon where you stand here in the realm of American Christianity. And by that, I mean, we need to hop into our ongoing segment that we give to you every week. This is kind of the dessert up first. Uh, it's called the Christian Crazy of the Week, where we offer up to you some of the craziest, the nuttiest, the worst of Christianity in our segment the Christian crazy. So here we go. Let's step into it right now. Cause it's going to get all over your shoes.
0: Claude hammers. The Lord is my shepherd. he knows know what I want.
2: That's
1: right here. We are here for the Christian crazy, the insanity in Christianity. Kind of worked actually. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> it kind of sounds stupid in my head, but it kind of worked here. We'll try some rhymes here and there. Yeah, we probably shouldn't. So this first one, this first story, love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. And this comes from uh who does it come from? It comes from over The Friendly Atheist over at uh patheos.com. Uh and it's it is a beautiful article. I'm gonna just go ahead and just just we're gonna quote this. We're gonna we're I'm just gonna go ahead and just read this to you because I can make this funny, but just the truth of the matter is this is just funny in itself. So a Catholic bishop full of ideas will borrow a helicopter as most good stories begin. at. Sorry. Um, This Catholic priest will borrow a helicopter and spray and spray his city with holy water on July the 14th in order to cleanse it of all the demons. Because that's that's what that's what you do. That's 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 what you do. That's right. And I'm going to just really try to get his name here. It's a very long one. Monsignor Ruben Dario Harmio Montoya of uh, Buenaventura, Colombia, says that his city has been ravaged with drugs, gangs, and corruption. And, and, you know what? Prayer's not cutting it right now. Prayer's not cutting it in that city. So what is plan B? Yep. Borrowing a navy helicopter On the feast day for the city's patron saint And they are going to spray the city With holy water Because That's the answer to everything Like why can't we just do this For all the ills in society Let's just spray holy water on it Right There's your neighbors being a pain in the butt Obviously demonic Spray spray Problem solved yeah. Yeah. Uh you know there's other things that are going on in Colombia that may not necessarily just be the devil. Uh there may be other humanitarian crises that are happening right there and there's other groups that are in the area trying to fix these problems because there is a lot of unrest going in there and guess what? Yeah. Yeah. Catholic Church again steps up with the number one answer. Let's not do anything. Let's 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 not let's not get too involved in trying to uh, fix this problem. Let's just spray it. Just spray it with holy water. That's gonna fix the whole thing because that's what we as Christians like to do. That's what we like to do. You know we do. You know what answer? And this will fit right in with what we're talking about today. So so what is the solution that requires the least of me? to solve a real world problem. Can I actually physically go and help my neighbor? Mm, I'd rather pray with them because that way I don't have to get my hands dirty. My city. Oh, my city's not doing well. There's poor, there's suffering. There's everything else going in there. Oh, should we be sacrificial and go and help those that need help? No, no, no. Just spray it with holy water. Just spray it with holy water. That is the easiest, like set it and forget it kind of answer. (laughs) Oh, Christianity. Ah, we're in 2019, and we're still looking for answers that kind of seem to be already solved on infomercials. So yeah, demonic problem, got your city down? Just spray it with holy water. Lamone Sr. gives his thumbs up. What? Yep, that's a thing. That's real. I wish this was crazy. But you are in the zone that we do call the Christian crazy, (laughs) so... There's always more. There's always more. When I say there's more, I, I'm I'm actually warning you right now. So, dear listeners, brace yourself. Buckle your seatbelts. Make sure your trade tables are up. Because at this moment in the Christian Crazy, we have what I'm going to call a Baker Double Feature. It's kind of like Baker's. Du- I don't know. I really can't do anything else with this one, but yes, we have a Jim Baker double feature. And, and, and I say this with all seriousness. uh, We're going to begin with Jim talking about prophecy of what is going to happen. And this is some serious stuff, folks. So, so again, no frivolity, no, no snarkiness, no fun. This is th- real. This is real, real life in Jim Baker part one because Jim Baker part two gets even better. So you're going to listen to part one and be like, what? And second part two, you're going to be like, what, what? It's going to be that good. That good. Don't believe me? Let's go ahead. Jim, Jim, I know you're talking about the, uh, you're laying out the, uh, the future and what is going to happen here in the future, Jim. So, hey, Jim, Jim, what, what do you see happening on the horizon there, my friend? Hmm. Any thoughts and ideas?
2: Everybody basically everybody except 3 people that I know of said that Donald Trump could not be elected. <laughs> they they said all the polls say he will not be elected. How come he was elected? Because God's people voted. Right. And the world That's knows that. it. That's right. The enemies of the God know it. And I'll tell you it.
1: what, he's actually not wrong. A lot and of tell
2: quote you
1: God's people Eighty percent of white evangelicals—those people that elected Trump, that sold their souls for their own uh, stinking preference and selfishness. Oh, so if what we're adding right here is, uh, I think Jim's just reminding us of the sins of the church. Is that where you're going with this, Jim? You're reminding us of the sins of the church that, uh, as a church, we should be repenting for being a group of people that elected this. Disgusting fool But I actually will take this opportunity to In a weird Tangential way like agree With Jim Baker I know I know sounds weird But the way Jim had laid this out uh, And the first time I've heard him say it Quite this way is that quote God's people elected Trump So My distinction here that I actually appreciate Him making is that He's not actually attributing God to Trump. He's just mentioning that God's, parentheses, misguided people that think they're following after God, elected Trump. Do you see the difference here? So I really appreciate that Jim is clarifying his speech here instead of saying God elected Trump. No, God's people, misguided as they are, elected Trump. But, but, that's just me being picky right now. Jim gets even better. He's laying out a prophecy that, you know what? In some level in my own little snarky heart of hearts can get on board with. this a little prophecy here. So
2: go ahead, Jim. Give it to us, buddy. I'm going to say something I probably shouldn't say, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Oh, boy. Because what's coming next, if we keep losing, you're going to see the leaders of the church and the leaders of the gospel and the political, conservative leaders that are powerful, you're gonna see them suddenly die. Wait, wait, what was that?
1: (laughs) What was that, Jim? What was that, Jim? (laughs) That's the greatest news ever! That's the best thing! Yay, prophecy! Way to go, Jim!
2: You're gonna see them suddenly die. Hmm. Suddenly killed. Mm. suddenly as they were driving, suddenly as they were in a boat, suddenly Mm. in an airplane. You're going to see one after another. God spoke to me this years ago, what would happen near the end. And I believe we're in that time. They're so desperate. This is life and death. This is the hatred of murder is is in in the country.
1: Oh, my gosh. High five, Jim. Oh, my gosh. High five with the Holy Spirit on top. So Wait if your math that you're doing here is if Trump doesn't get elected in 2020, somehow all of these religious a-holes are going to disappear, either by violence or just by poof, Kurt Cameron-style rapture. Oh, Jim, man. You have no idea how aroused you've made me right now. I'm just... I'm not going to take this any further, but... <laughs> I know he's laying this out as a, as a warning, a warning to the people. Watch out because this could happen. But for some of us kind of sounds like a party waiting to happen. So Jim, I really appreciate your little kind of like, Prophetic party piñata that you just dropped here But one thing I don't want us to miss I don't want us to miss the last thing that he said As part of his stark warning of this prophecy Let's listen to it again Not the whole prophecy Just the last little nugget
2: that he laid out here Because I think we need to talk about it This is life and death This is the hatred of murder Is, is in, the, in the country Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy! I love it when you talk with your spiritual
1: prophecy voice. You kind of drop it down an octave. and You add the spaces in between. And you tell us that this is a sign of the end times. That, in America, we have developed the hatred of murder. The hatred of murder! Oh, no! Wait what So It's bad That we've developed The hatred of murder Like are you trying to tell us Jim We need to be like happy about murder Which What hatred of murder I don't even know what that means Like I think most people can jibe with the idea That murder bad Murder bad Jim Murder bad So I'm not really sure how much your prophecy is holding water here. But, 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 but. I do want to give our listeners the opportunity, the opportunity to be able to listen to kind of what you get. Kind of what you get if you want to donate to Jim's essential prophetic ministry. Remember the ministry that brings us the uh, food buckets of the apocalypse. Just making sure that you can feed your fat ass when uh, the antichrist is here. We want to make sure we can eat well during the apocalypse. Remember that part? Yep, yep, yep. So, and we've even talked about how Jim was pushing the uh the Trump Cyrus coin. This uh this special gold plated coin that if you hold it and pray, it focuses your prayers with laser like precision. And it goes directly to the throne of God. And then God deflects it directly down to the White House as long as Trump is in the White House. That's how it works. That's how it works. So when Jim tells us that if we donate, we get stuff, we get these things, they're always good. They are always good. And Jim, Jim, if we've learned anything through the Christian crazy over the years here, that Jim cares about you. He cares about you in ways that other prophets and mouthpieces of the Lord don't always care about you because we this week have an offer that you you cannot refuse you can't refuse now unless um, you listen to their little pitch they had on the show but I will tell you I'm gonna kind of obscure the phone number because honestly <laughs> I don't want to give them any damn business I really don't but I would go ahead and hear this pitch. We mentioned infomercials a little while back. It doesn't get more infomercial-y than this, but I think you're going to like the little spin that Jim puts on this new miracle cure that he is uh, touting on his show. It's, it's... yeah, just go ahead and listen because there's no way that I could have made this crap up.
2: We love this product so much. If you've never tried it, now is the time. This is a great deal. It's $58. You get two of the Silversol 4-ounce bottles of gel, and you get two of the SilverSaw lozenges, two boxes of those, and they're all natural. You know, this is a product that can be used by a newborn baby to up 100 and plus. Uh, it's wonderful. We love it so much. Um, call right now. So that's
1: right. You heard it. It's a magical product that either comes in cream or in lozenge form, because that's, you know, you either rub it on yourself or you you suck on it. <laughs> that doesn't sound weird at all. <laughs> but you want to be able to get the silver in you because it cures so many things. From babies to old people, everyone can use the silver crap he's sending. But but you haven't heard the best part yet. And I just like Jim's little spin he adds on it at the end. Because Jim Jim's just going to tell you how it is.
2: Because he's a practical kind of dude. You know the amazing thing is it's safe for babies, uh-huh. but it's it's the most amazing product. It's proven to kill every venereal disease there is, and it's been proven and tested. I'm sorry, what? Uh... <laughs> <clears throat> um, number
1: one, Jim uh calling it venereal diseases you're you're several decades behind us we went from stds to now stis but i do love your practicality on your show because apparently sending in money to be able to help out a ministry doesn't sell it to your crowd but giving them something that will cure their quote venereal diseases And if you've got dirty babies out there, like venereal disease babies, like babies that are getting mad, they're like smashing it in the nursery, you know, from, you know, anywhere from the old folks home to the nursery, you are free to just go out and get it. Just get it. As long as you have this stuff, because it does. It it cures all the little fungal between your legs. I mean, the fungal in your jungle makes it go away, says Jim Baker. Because someone needs to make a t-shirt that says that. That Jim Baker says he will cure the fungal in your jungle. uh, Because that (laughs) is literally... I could not have written that. I could not have put that forward. But Jim, thank you. Thank you. You are the crown prince of the Christian crazy with your latest product (laughs) that cures all venereal diseases from young to old. And now... We are better for knowing that, right? All right, audience, right crowd? Oh, we do. We owe him a debt of thanks. So
2: thanks, Jim. Thanks so but much. It's, it's the most amazing product. It's proven to kill every venereal disease there is, and it's been proven and tested. So all of that fun we talk about to really bring us
1: to the main point that we want to hammer home uh, this hour here on the show is that we're going to be really dissecting through what does it mean to be sacrificial um, in the church and why that is a why that is a, an ethic, why is it a tenant, why is it a posture that has largely been lost by the church here in America. So this was going to kind of quasi be in the Christian crazy, but I actually thought this would be better as just kind of a transition into the main idea of what we're going to be talking about here. And so this, this came from an article over on Axios.com. Uh, and it's it's talking about how, how Trump is going to re-win, how he's going to re-energize, re the evangelicals, who, remember, over 80% voted for him um, in the last um, election, and whom he really has not dropped support for, um, even though Trump's been doing Trump things and evangelicals keep doing evangelical things and they all continue to shake hands and say, we're cool with this as long as (laughs) we just ignore Jesus. So so here's what the the Republican National Committee, uh, which is working in tandem with the Trump campaign, is going to be launching this operation. So the RNC, and I'm just quoting this directly from Axios, the RNC official said, the committee is focused on identifying and building relationships with, quote, key shapes stakeholders. Uh, Those would include members of Congress and their staff, prominent faith-based speakers and church leaders who can provide guidance on where to go, who to meet, and which issues resonate most with evangelical Christians. Because again, remember, evangelical Christianity is now just about politics and power. Jesus, ah, we left him long ago on the side of the road. He's a hippie. He knows how to hitchhike, right? Okay. So, That is a thing that is happening. They're trying to figure out, yes, how best to resonate with evangelical Christians because they realize evangelical Christians are really just only good for voting. Oh, God, that is a thing. Uh, They also plan to conduct their, quote, Signature Trump Victory Leadership Institute, or as they're calling this, the TVLI, Signature Trump Victory Leadership Institute. Ooh. Ooh, is this better? Is this like the grad school to Trump University, the Trump Victory Leadership Institute? I want that training. Please sign me up, and I will literally look into this to see if they will let me sign up for it. I doubt they will, but I will try. I will. I will do this. I, I will. I will make an effort. So again, there they have plans to conduct Trump Victory Leadership Institute training at faith-based events across the country where they'll recruit, quote, faith captains who will organize others to TVLI, Trump Victory Leadership Institute trainings, and the RNC is also planning to host voter registration drives at churches in battleground states such as Ohio, Nevada, Florida, where they'll promote Trump's record on socially conservative issues. What? What's the Johnson Amendment? What? What's the separation of church and state? What? The RNC doesn't give two craps about this because they are looking to sell this to the churches like the next faith-based movie that they're going to be pushing down our throats. Yes. Yes. They have realized that this is... This word, evangelical Christians, really just means a, a group of consumers. Not a group of followers of Christ, but a group of consumers. Uh, this is a demographic group that they have been able to identify by what they do, how they vote, how they spend their money, and otherwise. We've seen the Christian film industry manipulate this group year after year, saying that they're doing this to forward the gospel, but really, really, they're doing this to line their pockets, and the evangelicals don't care. They just say, num, 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 give me more, give me more, manipulate me more, oh, can I have more, please, sir, can I have another? And their answer is, sure, sure, sure. So now, not only is it like the Christian industrial complex either selling you music, ugly-ass T-shirts, or bad movies. No, the RNC, the Republican National Committee, is now, is now using you guys. Oh, man, you... You guys love being used right and left. You are such spiritual little whores right now, man. I mean, if that's your kink, if that's your thing let it fly. But, you know, just admit it. Just admit it. And when I saw that, it kind of just led me to start digging. And and it led me to this article over in Newsweek called Christ Sacrificed Himself for Others. Are American Christians Sacrificing Others for Themselves? This is by Heather Thompson Day over in Newsweek. It's an opinion piece that she has here. And, And it really struck me to my core of the fact that I don't think Christians in America know what it means to be a Christian anymore. I, I honestly think that they have they've bought into what their churches have told them. They've bought into how they are supposed to vote, how they are supposed to buy, who they're supposed to hate, who they're supposed to avoid, what areas of town they can go to, what areas of town they can't go to, who, they're, who, can, who can they judge, and how often can they judge people? Like, I feel that like Christianity has so lost itself, and guess what? It's okay with it. It's okay with it. I feel like they can't get enough of it. They continue to say, yes, tell me what to think. Yes, tell me what to buy. Yes, tell me who to hate. Yes, tell me who to judge. Do it, do it, do it. Just tell me. Just tell me. So let's go ahead and hop into this article instead of me just rifting forever. (laughs) Because I could. And Day says this in the article, and this is the part that that really stuck with me, and she said, uh, Christianity, after all, is supposed to be built on the covenant of love and equality for all, justice for the poor, and needy, and mercy to the stranger. This is even true if some Christians are forgetting these basic tenets of love thy neighbor in uh, favor of political power. Christ sacrificed himself to save others, but in 2019, conservative Christianity seems... To, prefer sacrifice, to sacrifice others to save itself. Let me say that again. Uh, but in 2019, conservative Christianity seems to prefer to sacrifice others to save itself. Whether it's refusing to confront the legacies of slavery or through the cheering of the current immigration policy embodied so heart-wrenchingly by the deaths of Oscar Martinez Ramirez and his daughter Valeria in the Rio Grande River. And what she's hinting at this point here, and, and the thrust of the article, she's talking about, um, about how, how white evangelical Christianity is not dealing with this idea that America was founded as a nation of white men who installed a system of slavery that, that made sure the white guys were on top and those that didn't look like them were not. So the thrust of the article is about that, but, but I loved the fact that she hit in the middle of it that, that again, Christianity is supposed to be known as, as a covenant of love, love of God and love of others. It's meant to be something that, that, that declares equality and dignity and justice for all. Regardless of your status, whether you're rich, or whether you're poor or needy, whether you're a stranger or whether you're a citizen. See, Christianity laid out these tenets that that were very radical back in the day, as we see here very much now. (laughs) The tenets of Christianity are very radical within the Christian church. The idea that God has a big table and that everyone is welcome to pull up a chair at that table. That God sees you as worthy. That God sees you as good. That God does not see your status, monetary, immigration. God does not see the color of your skin, where you were born, or what you've done. God sees you as as a creation made in God's image. That when humanity suffers, God suffers. And. And she says later in this article, and, and I think that that this is where where we're really kind of getting at here is that she says today much of America is divided. And for Christians who are supposed to be living in unity, it wouldn't seem that we are faring much better. But I would remind all my quarreling church family to remember that Jesus said his entire mission. He said what his entire mission was before the mic dropped, and everyone, on everyone who was in the temple. He said this, Luke 14, 8. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. I'm just going to say that again because it's good for me too. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and to recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. This was like Jesus' opening mission statement
2: as he began his ministry. So if we
1: are standing now in a place where there is racial injustice, economic equality, where, where there's humanitarian crisis in our country, where's Christ's mission? Where is it in all of this? Like, the church is, is, is busy bickering and making excuses for the atrocities that are happening on the southern border. Now, I'm not saying all of them, but I am saying, by and large, evangelical Christianity, the same Christians that were voting for Trump, that will vote for Trump again. See, the problem on the border is something that God needs to fix and not a problem that Jesus said, I'm giving you this to deal with. I'm giving you this to walk out. I'm giving you this because I've given you a new way a new set of ethics to view the world. I've given you a new way to be able to have love and compassion and mercy towards others. And when you see this suffering here, when you see this injustice here, you see definitely this is a place where Jesus would go. That if if the church in America ever wants to try to model itself after Jesus, this is one of those flashpoint times I feel like. Like if, if, if those that call ourselves Christians are saying, I want to live out my Christianity in the way that Jesus modeled out his faith. We can't stand by and have a Christianity that only happens inside a church on Sunday. We can't stand by when families are being separated or people are living or forced to live in squalor and concentration camp-like situations at our southern border. We can't continue to say that God is standing behind this orange, mm, mm -hmm, trying to self-censor myself, uh, that's in the Oval Office. We can no longer cover our eyes and say that this is okay. So why does this happen? So that brings me, so here's kind of the what. Here's the why. We hop over to Time Magazine. These are all these are all current articles. This is an, uh, an article called "Evangelicals Are Supporting Trump Out of Fear, Not a Faith" by David French over at Time Magazine. And here's what David has to say. And and I w- I want to note this too that the 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 Newsweek article, the basis that the one I just was talking about, they were doing this framing their reference of how Christians are not being Jesus, especially in conversations of race. And immigration. And we flip over to the Time Magazine article, who are also saying Christians are not being Christians because they continue to support Trump, who is a serial rapist, serial abuser, serial person that has been accused far too many times for the church to be okay with his actions. And for the record, one time is too many to be okay with that. But again, we continue to see the church through a blind eye and just continue to say, well, that was him in his past because God's now working with him. And, you know, the woman that is claiming that Trump did something to her, you know, it's not his type. It's not his type. So, yeah. So, yeah. But I love how they do this in this article here. So it's saying, uh, it's worth contrasting Trump, who denied Carol's claim, the, the latest uh, woman that claimed that Trump had assaulted her, um, with Clinton, because scandal helps, helped spur the Southern Baptist Convention in 1998 to issue its seminal, quote, resolution on moral character of public officials. So this is something the Southern Baptist Church did. Um, and in it, that document's key statement was ominous and unequivocal. Tolerance of serious wrong by leaders sears the conscience of the culture, spawns unrestrained immorality and lawlessness in society, and surely results in God's judgment. So what was the response to Clinton's dalliances and denials? Doesn't work now. 20 or more years later. And, and the thrust of the article of why um, that they're laying out here in the Time Magazine article is why. Why have Christians rolled over? Why do Christians continue to double down and support? Why do evangelicals put everything on the line for this perversity of a man? And their answer is, is fear. Let me quote this article. Talk to engaged evangelicals, and fear is all too often a dominant theme of their political life. The church is under siege from a hostile culture. Religious institutions are under attack from the progressives. The left wants nuns to facilitate access to abortifacients and contraceptives. It wants Christian adoption agencies to compromise their conscience or close and it even casts into doubt tax exemptions of religious education institutions if they adhere to traditional Christian sexual ethics. These issues are legally important, and they're the reasons for evangelicals to be concerned. But there is no reason for evangelicals to abandon the long-held principles to behave like any other political interest group. See, the fact of the matter is this. We've started, we started the deep dive here and actually started off mentioning this earlier in the show is the fact that this, this tenet, this idea, this practice of, of living sacrificially does not gel at all with the American church. Sacrifice in the face of a consumeristic church, a consumeristic church that says, well, what is the church going to give me? Well, this church—and see, and see, I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time making fun of the church because I've worked on the inside of the church. But on the flip side, also, we as Christians have become these consumers. We've become so materialistic in how we approve church. Oh, I don't like the worship here. Oh, I don't like— the seats in this church. Oh, I don't feel comfortable here. Oh, I wasn't welcomed here. Because again, when I read the Bible, Jesus tells me um, I need to be welcomed and comfortable. And essentially, my church needs to feel like a five star resort when I walk in. Moist towelette? Sure. Nice newly baked piece of Eucharist bread? Don't mind if I do. So, yes. We've become (laughs) a bunch of little privileged asses in America. Now, the church has coalesced to that, and that is a sin within itself, but also folks that like to go to church on Sunday, they've become a bunch of privileged little asses when it comes to this. Oh, I don't like a church if it doesn't make me feel good, if I don't feel valued, if I don't feel like a good consumer of their product. And the fact that, They are being marketed by fear, by the church, by Christian political groups, by lobbyists, by nonprofits. So this, 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 this is the currency now of Christianity. It's fear. It's a fear tactic. You've seen it used a thousand times in church where it's not about the love of Jesus. It's not about following after the teachings of Jesus. It's about you don't want to go to hell, do you? Your relatives may be burning eternally in hell. Eternal damnation. That doesn't sound too much fun, 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 fun. But if you have Jesus... Let me tell you what you're going to get. Wow, a get-out-of-hell-free pass. Yay! And on top of it, Jesus is going to make all your problems poof, vanish. Yeah. Yeah. We are more comfortable. We are more comfortable with being treated as Christian consumers than actually Christians. This idea of sacrifice. This idea of sacrifice doesn't gel well with the luxury of American churches. And do the American churches have luxury? Absolutely, absolutely. And they're continued. They're continuing to have this. I mean, it feels like this. I, I, I'll tell you this. Side aside. Um, last 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 year, I uh, around the time of Black Friday. Uh, I, had would seen that I could sign on to get a Hulu account to watch TV for $12 for the next year. And I was like, as a consumer again, I was like, sure, $12 for 12 months of Hulu doesn't sound bad, but really what that buys you is so many effing commercials on a regular basis, half show, half commercials, kind of what we get on normal network TV, but this time I'm actually literally paying for it. Yay. Oh, the American Church is no different. It is being marketed to. It is being sold. It is being told how to believe, what to believe, what to do, what is holy, what is not holy, what Jesus should tell them to do and what not. And, and Scripture has become something that is very just twisted and manufactured in in how people are taught and told to live and believe and walk out their faith. The problem is this. The problem is this. This isn't faith anymore. This isn't faith speaking anymore. These are, and as I'll quote back from the Time magazine article, these are the words of fearful men grasping at a fading influence by clinging to a man whose daily life mocks their very values that Christians seek to advance.
2: American
1: evangelicals feel weak. They feel weak. Why do they feel weak? This isn't Trump's fault. Trump just fits the bill. Uh, Evangelicals feel weak because their influence has been waning for years. And now, and now, they have a strong man. Or a seeming strong man. I don't think Trump could lift 50 pounds over his head even if people were helping him. But they see Trump as their new messiah the Messiah, to bring Christianity, to bring Christian comfort and preference back into the forefront of America. I didn't say values. I said comfort and preference, and I meant it. But this is a problem that actually lingers a little bit further back, and especially within the way evangelicals like to talk about the Gospels and the way they like to talk about Jesus. Now, those of you who may not know me, who may not listen to this show for a number of years, I am. this is not me bragging, this is just kind of giving you my resume for why I'm saying the things I say. Um, I am an ordained minister, a non-practicing ordained minister uh, that has been through seminary, that has spent the good part of my adult life working with Christian churches and nonprofits in various different roles, either from pastor to youth pastor to director. And in my time of working with this, I um, have always kind of had this issue and pushed back on it and didn't realize why I was the weird one uh, for asking questions. And the questions I would continuously ask were, why are we more comfortable with the message of Jesus resurrected, I'll explain what I'm meaning, than Jesus the servant? You see, church likes to, to frame it in this way. We are comfortable with Jesus as long as we know Jesus wins in the end meaning that his story only has power if he wins, which is a very consumeristic approach, meaning that if we can say, oh, it's King Jesus, he is sitting at the throne of God, King Jesus is in power, and eventually he's going to come back and kick ass, and all the people that uh, have believed in him, they're going to be resurrected, everyone else that doesn't, we're going to cast them to hell,
0: yeah, the
1: good team wins! But when they talk about this, my biggest question is: do they emphasize the works, the lives, and the teaching of Jesus? Because the work and the life and teachings of Jesus, so someone who was a servant, so someone who was poor, someone who was a refugee, someone who lived and displayed this self-sacrificial posture that he called all that follow after him to have. And he did this, he did this before we know the answer in the end, before we know that Jesus died and rose again. See, his followers knew, or actually his followers didn't know the things that we know. See, it's easier to champion a hero once we already know that he's a hero. It's easier to champion someone that has already won. It's harder to stand behind the underdog and do what the underdog is telling you because what the underdog is telling you is very difficult. We would rather look to the end of like, oh, well, Jesus did this and look at him. He's in heaven. In the end, people will worship him. He's the King Jesus. He kicks ass and takes names. Yeah. But that doesn't really jibe with the sacrificial servant Jesus that's Jesus' entire essence was about, that Jesus' entire teachings was about. Kind of see what I'm getting here? See, the churches have fallen in love with the Donald Trump kind of version of Jesus. You know, the Jesus that just seems like he's a winner. Not the Jesus that gets rounded up by the Romans that the Jews turn their back on and he gets sacrificed and killed in a horribly disgusting and painful manner. We don't like that. We don't like that. No, no, no. We just want winners. We just want winners because, you know, with King Trump, you're never going to get, we're never going to get tired of winning. And seriously, are we tired of winning yet? America, are we tired of, I'm, if this is what winning is, I'm so tired of it. I'm so effing tired of it. And I'm harping on this, that, uh, that I harp on different, different versions of this. Because American Christianity has forgotten what it is. Christianity, by and large, has forgotten what it is. And the problem with this, in many ways, and, and I'm going to, we're going to take a slight little tangent aside, but it's, it, it, it hopefully will make sense. Is in many ways... Those that are in power, those that lead, those that have the platform and the power and the prestige uh, are looked upon by others as 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 idols or icons or role models or whatever you want to call them. Right. And so in for better or worse, in many ways, America ends up. At least until we've entered Trump here, um, America had been kind of a leader for the free world, at least that's what America liked to call itself. You know, the one that was at least trying to do good, that was trying to be better, that was trying to kind of give this American idealism to the rest of the world. But the fact of the matter is, and, and Trump didn't even screw this up, is, is that we've really just been riddled with consumerism and materialism and really just Americanism is really just me, 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 which is there from the very beginning. The idea of manifest destiny, the idea that you can just pick yourself up um, and make your, whatever you need to out of yourself in America, pull up your bootstraps, you know, if only you work hard enough, you'll get everything you want to in America. And that's actually not true. Actually not a true statement. It's a lie that gets perpetuated to keep people working. But what I say, and when I mention all of this, when I mention about the sins of the American church, especially the leadership in the American church, that has continued to lead us astray, that has continued to tell us that this kind of political BS, that getting behind politics in this manner, in this BS type manner is okay. And when we continue to see people like we see in the Christian crazy, that continue to tell us that, hey, guess what? Uh, This is God's nature. This is what God wants. And that's why we point them out in the Christian crazy, because I show you the worst of it, because it shows you in small ways, if you can see the worst of it, you can also see the insidious ways it happens in the marginal places within the Christian church too. Not everyone out there is a Jim Baker. Not everyone out there is a Robert Jefferson. Not everyone out there is a Franklin Graham or Jerry Falwell Jr. Those are the easy ones to point out. But when we can see the way that they handle themselves and we see the way that they kind of have these, like, greasy, slick tongues and how they talk to people, we're able to see how it happens on smaller levels and more insidious levels, kind of in, in, in the modern areas of the church. Tracking with me? So we kind of begin by talking a little bit about the atrocities that are happening here on the southern border of the United States. And I am now going to kind of just give us a slide aside into why all this language is very damaging. And this comes from an article in The Guardian called May God Bless You, Evangelical Pastor's Hidden Role in Human Smuggling Boom. And this article is by Sarah Kinosian. Sarah Kinosian. and what it outlines what it outlines especially in central america the role that many pastors have in this coyote movement in this movement to smuggle people across the border yes you heard me pastors learning to make money off of their position and trust in the community in order to smuggle people across the U.S. border. Yeah, because that's a thing. Shouldn't be, but it is. And the article says this, Guatemala is one of the biggest sources of migrants uh, to the U.S. And across the highlands of this poor Central American country, churches and clergymen also play a role in the booming business of people smuggling. As trusted individuals in a deeply religious society, pastors and priests can offer comfort and and a promise of safety to those undertaking the dangerous trek north. They can also take a cut of the profits. The church is an invisible actor in migration, says Francisco Simon, a researcher on migration and smuggling at the University of San Carlos in Guatemala. Using the image of the pastor is one of the many ways the coyotes, the people smugglers, recruit clients. The pastor has credibility and the trust of the people. And so we're beginning to see this. And, and when I mention folks in the Christian crazy, and we can end up like, like throwing folks like Jim Baker under the bus about this, but these guys, these pastors, these televangelists that are out for profit, and there's plenty of pastors in America out for profit that either have churches or on TV, so don't be fooled by that. But what we're seeing is this idea of the gospel being able to give you prosperity, being able to give you money. Uh, we are seeing this also, the sin of this in the fact that many pastors are a part of smuggling people across the border. Many pastors are part and connected with these coyotes, these people smugglers in a way that dehumanizes people that doesn't care about where they're moving people, how people are treated and everything else like this. And they're still doing it and they're using their presence. They're using their presence in the community and their presence as people of God. And I say that, I say that as we're starting to run out of time here in the show because America influences other countries around us. And, and they do that in these ways. And, and I'm going to leave us kind of as I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrap this up. But this is a letter from July in a newsletter that James Dobson, focused on the family, had ended his letter talking about the problem at the border. He said this. What I've told you is only a glimpse of what is occurring on the nation's border. I don't know what it will take to change the circumstances. I can only report that without an overhaul of the law and allocation of resources, millions of illegal immigrants will continue flooding to this great land from around the world. Many of them have no marketable skills. They are illiterate and unhealthy. Some are violent criminals. Their numbers will soon overwhelm the culture as we have known it, and it could bankrupt the nation. America has been a wonderfully generous and caring country since its founding, and that is our Christian nature. But in this instance... They have met, uh, we have met a worldwide wave of poverty that will take us down if we don't deal with it. And it won't take long for the inevitable consequences to happen. James Dobson, screw you when I say this. Does our immigration system need a rehaul? Sure. Do we need more money down at the border? Absolutely. But when you begin, when you begin to lay out these people, James Dobson, as a person, as a person who is a faith leader, and begin, you, begin to talk to them, to, talk, to describe them in terms of marketable skills and how they're going to bankrupt our country, you no longer speak for Jesus Christ. This is a disgusting display of Christianity at its worst that is mongering in fear evangelicals and American Christians continue to be manipulated by fear and not by the hope and glory of Jesus. If we are followers of Christ, we are called to go and do the right thing regardless of the consequence. We are called to love regardless of the consequence. We are called to help regardless of the consequence because none of the rest of us matters. If we forget to love our neighbor, if we could forget to love those that are hurting, we've lost Jesus. We have forgotten Jesus. So screw you James Dobson and screw you All of these folks that continue to push this, that continue to push this disgusting manner, this disgusting version of Christianity upon us that continues to influence people that have nothing to do with this. Austin Channing Brown said this, and I'll kind of leave us with this idea that anger is not a shortcoming to be denied, but a creative force that tells us when something is wrong. Anger is not a shortcoming to be denied, but a creative force that tells us when something is wrong and something is wrong. Something is wrong in America. Something is wrong with the American church and it is bad. It stinks. And American Christians need to be able to wake up to the mess that we have created, that we've allowed to happen. Our leaders have forgotten us. Our leaders have forgotten Jesus and this is messed up. Now, I'd ask, Crystal is, is one of our faithful listeners and I love it when Crystal messages me and Crystal had asked me a while back, that she was saying, all this is happening on the border is, is messing me up and I don't know what to do. I'm furious, I'm angry, and I don't know what to do. And I ended up finding the answer from another Facebook friend, Andre Henry. And we have posted Andre's list on our Snarky Faith Facebook page. So if you are furious, if you are upset, if you feel like Jesus is crying when he looks at what's happening on the southern border, go to our Facebook page on snarkyfaith.com and look at the ways to get engaged. So I tell you, here as is we're ending our show. Find us on Facebook. We have a list of all the ways you can get involved because what is happening is disgusting. What is happening is non-Christian. And for us to continue to peddle fear in Christianity is wrong and we can do better. So I send you out the holiest amount of anger and snark and grace and peace because we can do better. I'm out of here. Catch you guys again next week.
0: WCOM is listener-supported community radio and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors lumen a spiritual community of seekers sojourners question askers doubters and skeptics is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred hope is real and tomorrow can be a better day than today all are welcome you can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com